Hey, hey. We're excited about starting a brand new series today, Assassins, to help us figure out those emotions that tend to take us out. And uh, you know, the Word of God speaks to us about those things, so we're gonna get into that in just a moment. Uh, but just also wanted to let you know uh, that today, and I've already mentioned this, but after this celebration, we are going to have baptism celebrations. So I hope you won't rush out. I hope you'll stay around for the party, and I hope that you will think about getting baptized. If, you have, if you've never been baptized or it didn't mean anything to you, or, you know, your, your parents christened you when you were a child, that's not believer's baptism. And so I would be honored to baptize you today. And I know what some of you are thinking, like, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't plan for this. I don't have the clothes, can't do it, pastor, sorry, peace out, see you next time. We got you covered, we got everything you need. We got clothes, we've got towels, we got everything you need, so hope that you will be a part of that. Uh, just two quick things before I turn it over today. Um, some of you have been asking, this has been in the works for a little bit, but um, on James and Betty Robinson, as you know, I was uh, so thankful to be a part of that, and that's going to air this Tuesday. This Tuesday on Daystar or CW22, um, just would ask that you pray that God would make a big deal out of his son, Jesus. Amen. Just want to spread hope and holiness. That's what the whole book was about and uh, would covet your prayers. But that is this Tuesday. And then the last thing I've been wanting to get out, trying to find the right time to get it out, is um, a group of men and I have decided that one of the things this church really needs is a strong, strong men's ministry. And um, these, are, these are tricky days, man, and guys, guys are confused, and it's really hard to know what to do, how to do it, how to lead, how to love, how to serve. And so we're doing a brand new men's ministry called Battle Ready. Everybody say Battle Ready. Battle ready. And the first one begins on May 23rd and July 25th. We're just doing two going into the summer. And then in the fall, we will do it every single month. This will be, it'll be a men's ministry gathering. And I know what some of you women are thinking, well, what about us? There's a group of women who are planning and praying and meeting right now about launching simultaneously a strong women's ministry where we can uh, just really pour into marriages and parenting and men's issues and women's issues and just fired up about that. Who's fired up about that? Anybody fired up about that? Here's something else you should get really fired up about. He doesn't need any introduction. Uh, he is our teaching pastor. Give it up for uh, Pastor Mike Bro as he brings the word today. Hey, what's up, everybody? Great to see you all. I want to welcome uh, all the campuses, uh, myself, and uh, in case uh, you don't know me, my name is, is Mike, and uh, I've been uh, been around for a little while. I'm kind of like that, uh, you know, stray dog you fed. He just keeps showing up on your porch and don't know how to get rid of him, so uh, I'm always, always honored to get to be here at New Hope with you guys, and I heard you had amazing amazing Easter celebrations last weekend. Wish I could have been a part of that. I was actually uh, at a church I love in Chicago uh, last weekend getting to teach there. It was, it was just so fun to see all the reports of Easter services coming in from all over the world, actually, and how people are finding hope in, uh, in Jesus Christ. And I, I can't wait for baptisms today at every campus as well. Uh, and I just wanna let you know, it, it's, it's, baptism is like a first step of surrender. 
It's not something like you gotta wait till you get your act together. Or you're saying, I gotta wait till I'm good enough. I'm not good enough. That's, that's the problem with all of us. We, 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 we have to admit, you know, we need some help. And it's a first step of surrender and just come to Christ and, and, uh, and be, you know, bury your old self and rise up to a brand new walk. And I don't know, like Benji was saying, you know, maybe you think, well, I'm not prepared to do that today. I don't have a towel. We got towels. No, we don't have a t-shirt. We got t-shirts. We don't have a hair dryer. Not getting any sympathy from me whatsoever <laughs> with that. But just, uh, man, maybe today is just God just saying, come on, let's do this. And we'll meet you after the service. going to be a party out there on the patio. And uh, all of our campuses really excited about that. Well, we are kicking off a new series uh, this weekend that we are calling Assassins. We're going to be talking about four things uh, that are just lurking, just hoping to get a clear shot at us so they can take us out. For instance, we're going to be talking about envy uh, one week and how there's a tendency for all of us to fall into that uh, dangerous comparison trap. We're gonna take on anger in one week. We're talking about the quick strike kind and the slow simmering, been in there for a long time kind of anger. Next week, uh, we're gonna go after fear, that anxiety that just keeps us paralyzed. But today, we thought we might as well kick it off talking about public enemy number one, the most dangerous of all assassins. You see, there's this, there's this thing that is lurking in all of us that creates an environment where things like envy and fear and anxiety and anger and lots of other things can pick us off. In fact, this particular assassin complicates everything in our life. It keeps us from apologizing. It won't admit it when we're wrong. It won't stop and ask for directions. It keeps us arguing even when we know we're wrong or our point is pointless. This thing makes us defensive. It causes us to power up on people. It's this thing that, that makes us refuse to show vulnerability or weakness. It makes us stiff arm people that are trying to help us. This, this thing keeps us running and competing at very unhealthy levels. This dastardly thing even causes us to lie lie about our past, lie about our age, our weight, makes us pad our resumes, exaggerate our accomplishments, enhance our social media profile, and crave likes. This thing keeps us from learning new things. It forces us to cheat instead of lose. It won't let us celebrate when somebody else wins. It won't let us feel good when, when somebody else has something good happen to them. In fact, we feel better when they fail. It, it, it's, this, it's this thing that makes us buy stuff to impress people. This thing stands in, way, in the way of not only our relationships with each other, but our relationship with God. And ironically, at the same time, it does a number on us too. Anybody want to guess what this sinister thing is? Pride. You know, pride. Now, please understand me. When I'm talking about pride, I'm not talking about a healthy self-esteem or a healthy self-image. I'm not talking about that, that feeling that people had during baptisms in the first service where they're watching their kids. But, oh, I'm so proud of my kids. I'm talking about, not talking about that. I'm talking about that time where you can stand back from a project or something you did and went, wow, that looks really good. I feel great about accomplishing that. Those are good and healthy things. When I'm talking about pride, I'm talking about that puffed up sense of self-importance an overinflated ego, talking about selfishness, arrogance. Now, the person in the mirror looking back at us would never call it that, and that's pretty much the problem. Pride is a dangerous assassin. It is so skilled and so sinister, and it's at the root of every other sin. So we thought maybe we just ought to ask, how do we proactively 
lay our ego on the altar before God and kill this thing before it has a chance to take us out. I read this about once a year just for my own sake, and you'll see why I read it. It's a Beth Moore's uh, My Name is Pride, and I'm sure some of you have heard this, but maybe you need to hear it again like I do. She, she writes, My Name is Pride. I am a cheater. I cheat you out of your God-given destiny because you demand your own way. I cheat you out of contentment because you deserve better than this. I cheat you out of knowledge because you already know it all. I cheat you out of healing because you're too full of me to forgive. I cheat you out of holiness because you refuse to admit when you're wrong. I cheat you out of vision because you'd rather look in the mirror than out the window. I cheat you out of genuine friendship because nobody's ever gonna know the real you. I cheat you out of greatness in heaven because you refuse to wash another's feet on earth. I cheat you out of God's glory because I've convinced you to seek your own. My name is Pride and I am a cheater. You like me because you think I'm always looking out for you. Untrue. I'm always looking to make a fool out of you. God has so much for you, I admit. But don't worry, stick with me and you'll never know. See why I read it? You know, two-year-olds can't say a whole lot, but they master one word pretty quickly, don't they? That word is mine, mine. That's what, that's what toddlers say. And we get fooled into thinking that when we flex our self-importance, it makes us all big and bad, but in just the opposite, it shrinks us back to toddler size. It makes us super, super small. I witnessed a guy the other day. He was going on and on about something that he did. He was exaggerating things to make it more dramatic and make the story, uh, make, it, make himself look more important in the story. He even, even dropped a name or two into the story for that wow factor. I'm just telling you, the more this guy talked, the smaller this guy became. Now, the good news is I recognized it and later apologized. And uh, <laughs> I talked to God about it and I'm pretty embarrassed right now to use myself as an illustration about how pride makes us all tiny. But gang, it makes all of us look small. It diminishes our capacity to ask for help. It shrinks our ability to admit that we don't really know how to fix something. It weakens our encouragement muscles. We find it hard to give a compliment or receive one for that matter. We can't hear what we need to hear or say what we need to say. Our pride, our ego shrinks you and me right back to toddler size as we go through life saying mine. Mine. And I'm just telling you from experience, eventually your ego becomes the self-imposed prison. It will lock you up in solitary confinement. It becomes this dark and lonely cell that keeps you in and everybody else out, including God. I mean, there's so much of you in your life that there's no room for anybody else. And I'm just telling you, that's a crappy way to live your life. You do remember what ego stands for, right? You've heard this, edging God out. That's what ego stands for, edging God out. Psalm 10, 4 puts it like this. In his pride or in her pride, the wicked man or woman does not seek him. In all their thoughts, there's just no room for God. He's just saying we can become so full of ourselves that there's no room for anybody else, especially God. You know how a narcissist changes a light bulb? They stand still, let the world revolve around them. <laughs> now, you and I would never say that out loud, but all of us can start living like that, can't we? 
we're really thinking, I am the center of the universe. Everyone exists for me. God exists for me. Life exists for me. Everything is about me. And the Bible says that God detests pride because it keeps us from experiencing the true God. It keeps us from experiencing his better leadership and his bigger wisdom and his deeper love and his unconditional acceptance that he knows could change everything about our life. And you know what? Beth Moore was right. Pride does really cheat us out of love. You know, my wife Debbie and I have been married for 40 years now. And I can tell you right now that it's her ego has been the number one contributor for breakdown in our, our love relationship. <laughs> you know that's not true. But every battle that we've ever had pretty much centered around selfishness. You know what I'm talking about? Wanting our own way. Pride definitely reduces our capacity to give and receive love. We start walking into rooms thinking, here I am. Instead of walking into a room going, oh, there you are. Pride has such a way of devaluing other people because you're always sizing up the room and you're ranking people with yourself always at the top. And it's hard for you to utter phrases that are so crucial to any relationship. Phrases like, I love you. I'm proud of you. I need you. I, I was wrong. I'm sorry. And you become this controlling, intimidating person that everybody in your world walks on eggshells around you. I mean, they want to say, dad, you, mom, you, honey, you, boss, you, coach, you, but they're too afraid because your pride has diminished your capacity to give and receive love. Now, I just want to call a quick time out right here. I want to establish some ground rules for this entire series. Anybody remember the old movie Hitch with Will Smith and Kevin James? There's a scene in the movie where Will Smith, who's ultra cool, is teaching Kevin James, who's not, how to dance. And Kevin James got all these funky moves and stuff. And Will Smith just says, keep your elbows right here. Just keep them right here. Just keep them, keep them right here. Keep your elbows right here. That's the ground rule for this series. Because right now you want to nudge somebody. Say, he's talking about you. Right? Which just proves my point. Right? If you're sitting there thinking, I hope so-and-so is listening to this. Listen, all of us, all of us wrestle with this. And we all need to keep them in and just lay our ego on the altar. And there's nobody better to learn this from than Jesus himself. Because there is no one like him. I mean, he taught and modeled this radical version of humility that puts pride in its place. In fact, Jesus redefined greatness. He, he showed up saying that greatness is something that you actually descend into. So I just want to hang for a few moments in an awesome passage of scripture. It's found in a little New Testament book called the book of Philippians. It was a letter uh, written to a bunch of brand new Jesus followers like, like us. And this passage actually became one of the favorite worship songs of the early church. It was this hymn that reminded them to embrace Jesus' approach to life every day and lay their ego on the altar. And it begins with a verse that I've made every couple that I've ever married memorize. It's Philippians chapter two, verse three and four, and it says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. You see how that could be like a golden rule for relationships? I mean, all relationships. I've always liked the way C.S. Lewis put this about humility. He said, humility is not thinking of yourself, is not thinking, is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. 
It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I mean, if last Holy Week taught us anything whatsoever, you and I should know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are deeply, deeply loved. Jesus Christ chose to go to a cross because he saw us as absolutely priceless. So humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. And here's how you do it. Verse five, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He's saying, this is how you choose to begin to lay your ego on the altar. You roll out of bed every day and you choose to embrace the same radical approach to humility that Jesus chose. You go through your life saying, I wanna live like that guy. I mean, every day you make a conscious decision and you ask the Holy Spirit of God to remind you throughout the day that you are not the center of the universe. You just say, God, today in regard to my own self-importance, my own ego, I choose to embrace the same mindset of Jesus who really is the center of the universe. So choose to have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, verse six, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now that word, in the very nature God, is the Greek word morpha, which means the essence of. So this doesn't mean that Jesus was like sort of like God, or that Jesus had a, a few you know, godly characteristics, or that Jesus was able to pull off a little supernatural magic from time to time. No, 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 what it's saying is, who being in the very nature God, the very essence God, in reality, he was God, is God, creator and sustainer of all things. Colossians chapter one says that all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. So God in the flesh, God incarnate, he was fully God, even though Jesus being in the very essence God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He made a choice. He said, even though I could, I'm not gonna cling to my divine rights. I mean, even though I could, I'm not gonna power up on people and make them do it my way. I'm not gonna clench my fist and hold tight to what is rightfully mine. I'm gonna open up my hands. And I'm gonna let it go and I'm gonna lay my ego on the altar and surrender fully to the will of the Father. Verse seven, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. I mean, think about this. Jesus came in as much obscurity as somebody could, starting with mangers and shepherds and cow manure and he grew up in a, as a carpenter's son, lived in a little bitty hick town, framing houses for a living. He, he lived in obscurity for almost 30 years. I mean, there was no grandiosity about Jesus at all. He just came as a humble servant to reveal who God really is. R right before his crucifixion, Jesus had his guys, they're all gathered in an upstairs room. And the, I mean, there's a bunch of guys, so testosterone is flowing and they're arguing about positions and power and who's gonna sit where when Jesus establishes his kingdom, talking about greatness, who's gonna become great. And Jesus kneels down while they're arguing to wash their dirty feet. And he gives them four words that have been like a, like a game changer for me as a leader, 
as a husband, as a dad, as a neighbor. I mean, there are four words that all of us need to stick in our heart and just be reminded of from, from time to time. It says this in Matthew chapter 20. He says, you guys know how the rulers of the Gentiles, or the Romans, you know how it works, how they lord it over people and that their high officials exercise authority over people, they power up on people. Here's those four words. Not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So when you're tempted to power up on somebody this week, I hope you're here, not so with you. When you're tempted to cut in line because your time is much more important than other people's time, I pray you're here, not so with you. When you're tempted to grab the credit and the spotlight this week, not so with you. Verse eight, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I know some of y'all might be downscaling these days. Maybe you're an empty nester and you're going from like a sprawling ranch house to a smaller condo, or maybe you're going from a two-story house to a one-story because your knees are shot these days, or, or, or maybe you're moving out of your mom and dad's house and moving into a tiny little dorm room, or maybe you're going from a monster truck to a Prius. I don't know, but we all, we all downscale eventually. But man, talk about downscaling. Jesus goes from transcending all time and space to being fenced in by Middle Eastern geography. He goes from absolute bliss and perfection to learning how to walk, having ear infections and chicken pox and zits and throwing up and experiencing hunger and exhaustion and know what it feels like to get hot and to, and to get the chills to be made fun of and rejected and laughed at and spit upon and beaten up and humiliated to have nails driven through your hands and your feet. Make no mistake about it. He did not lay down his divinity. He just laid down his self. He crucified his ego. He nailed his self-interest to the cross and thus saved all of us from ourselves. And all he's asking us to do is do the dishes without complaining. <laughs> to go last in line. To let somebody else have that parking spot. To let somebody else get the credit, let somebody else get the spotlight. The one who voluntarily went to a cross is asking you and me to apologize to our spouse, to pick up the phone and forgive somebody, to tell your daughter how proud you are of her, to tell somebody what they mean to you. Jesus says, come on, follow me, learn from me, don't allow pride to continue to take you out. Don't let it screw up your life and make you small and cheat you out of love and lock you in solitary confinement. Come on, lay your ego on the altar like I did and be free to walk in humility and grace. Here's a few questions that have been helpful to me and they may help you as well. I've always found it helpful, not always, but in recent years found it helpful to go to God on a regular basis and just pray that little prayer from Psalm 139 where you say, search me, oh God. I mean, I'm gonna pop the hood on my life. I want you to get under there and I want you to see what's, what's going on. Is there something that's not quite right in my life? Is there something in my heart that just needs to get fixed? What do you see? And in regard to pride, I found it helpful to ask, God, in what ways does pride play itself out in me? 
And when you ask that question, get real honest with that. Now, if you don't really know the answer, I guarantee you somebody else will. So just ask them, what do you see? How do you, you think I have a pride problem? And if they look at the ground and uh, <laughs> kind of stumble over the words, you got the answer. But just be honest. I mean, ask God, ask yourself, ask somebody that you trust. How does pride play out in me? Maybe ask yourself, do, do, I, do I exaggerate a lot? Do I have a tendency to do the whole uh, humble brag thing? Do I get defensive? Do I get consumed with the way that I look on the outside? I mean, do I compare the number of Twitter followers somebody else has? Do I have trouble showing affection? Do I have a hard time showing weakness? Do I have a hard time asking for help? You know, a few weeks ago when we asked the question that Jesus asked, do you want to get well? I mean, honestly, you ask yourself, is it pride that keeps me from wanting to get well? Is it pride that keeps me from being vulnerable and asking for help? Whatever, just be honest and invite God into the process and ask him, what does pride look like in me? How does it play out in me? The second question I found helpful is this, how does pride disguise itself in me? Because pride as an assassin is really good at masquerading. I mean, it'll take you out like doing this undercover thing. I heard, a, I heard this guy on a talk radio uh, the other day, I listen to sports talk radio in my truck a lot, and there's this really arrogant guy going on and on about something. And uh, somebody called in and kind of called him out on it, and he started talking about how he was not arrogant. He was just confident. I thought, no, man, you're arrogant. <laughs> See, pride can disguise itself that way. It can disguise itself with intellectualism. It can disguise itself with fashion, with fitness, with religion, with ethnicity, financial status, even False humility. I mean, you can do good things, kind things, noble things, and still, in, inwardly, you're craving recognition and praise and thank you. Honey, see how I humbly served you? <laughs> so just get real honest and ask, what ways does pride disguise itself in me? But the really big question is to ask, how much longer am I going to let it control me? I mean, why would I let this known assassin continue to take open shots at me? I mean, when am I finally going to embrace the same liberating lifestyle of Jesus and walk in humility free from myself? I, I tweeted this one day as I was actually putting this talk together, and I hope you'll follow me and like it. I'm just kidding, I'm just, I'm just kidding, just kidding. But this is, this is what just came out of my, my heart. I wish I'd been more selfless throughout my life. And I say that selfishly. What I mean by that is, I've just been learning. It's such a better way to live your life when not everything revolves around you. When you lay your ego on the altar and you let God be God and you put other people first, man, that is the best life. You know, I've, I've played basketball all my life and I, I still love to play a little bit. It's just pathetic these days though. It just is. I'm just telling you, like the three-point line is like an electric dog fence. I don't even want to step inside because you get hurt when you go in there. And, and I was playing with some guys not long ago, and there was a loose ball. And I thought, somebody needs to pick that up. So I'm, not, I'm not bending over. I mean, it's just, it's sad. It's sad. It's just, it's sad, but I still, I still love it. I'm a basketball junkie. And, and those of you that played ball, you know what I'm talking about. Trash talk is just part of the game, right? I mean, it's just talking smack is just part of the game. And I've, I've just been praying that maybe today you would have the resolve to kind of get after this thing called pride, even talk a little smack to it. 
I say, hey, pride, you know what? You ain't got nothing. I'm sick of you cheating me out of life, out of love, and out of joy. You are not my boss. You are not the center of the universe. You are not the ruler of my life. You got nothing. Hey, pride, hey, pride, watch this. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to help that person right now. And I'm not going to expect a thank you note or applause or anything. In fact, check this out. Nobody's ever going to know about it. Check this out, pride. I'm going to walk over there right now, and I'm going to hug my son, and I'm going to tell him how proud I am of him, even though he did not follow the career path I thought he should, even though he didn't play the sport that I played. You know what? Check this out, pride. I'm going to brag on my daughter and tell her I love you, because it's been way too long since she's heard those three words. You know what else? Watch this. I'm going to hold hands with my wife. Yeah, in public. Yeah. <laughs> And check this out, Pride. I'm even going to give her the remote control. Take that, Pride. Hey, Ego, check this out. I'm going to write that personal letter. I'm going to let this grudge go. Hey, watch this. I'm going to finally get some help. You know what? Finally, I'm going to admit that I got a problem. I'm sick of you telling me you can handle it. It's not a big deal because I can't handle it. And it is a big deal. You know what? I'm going to get some help. In fact, I'm going to go to marriage counseling. I'm going to get some help with my finances. Hey, you know what else? I'm going to be baptized today. Yeah, take that pride. I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus Christ, and I'm going to let him start leading my life. I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to go down in the water in front of a whole bunch of people, and I'm going to bury the old me, and I'm going to come up a brand new person. And you know what else, pride? That's only the beginning. Because I'm going to start walking with God every day. I'm going to talk to him like he really is God and not me. Because I'm sick of you controlling me. So, so long, self. Good riddance, pride. Later, ego. We are through. Talk some smack. Now, I, love, I love the last paragraph of this passage in Philippians 2 about what happened as a result of Jesus embracing this Life of humility, it says this, this is so cool. Therefore, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus demonstrated it. The best way up is down. So what do you say we get after this sinister thing called pride first so we can take out these other assassins we're gonna be talking about in the next three weeks? So I just wanna have a little focused prayer time for all of us, all of our campuses right now. And so I'm just gonna ask you, just, just bow your head, let's just work through this a little bit. And I've even found it helpful sometimes, only if you're comfortable with this. I just kinda of sometimes turn my palms upside down and just kinda of put them on my lap as a spirit of surrender. And if you wanna do that, That'd be cool too. Um, but maybe we just pray together. Maybe start with saying, God, would you, would you just drive selfishness out of my life, especially as it relates to my family right now? Help, help me to put my ego on the altar and, and empty myself and choose the same mindset that Jesus had in regard to my family. Maybe you could pray, God, would you drive selfishness out of my life as it relates to my friends? Because it causes me to be envious and 
prevents me from really celebrating when other people celebrate. Maybe you could pray, God, would you drive selfishness out of my marriage? Because I can get pretty selfish. And I'm only responsible for what I bring. And I don't want to bring ego anymore. I don't want to bring self-centeredness. I want to bring a humble man, a humble woman to this relationship. I would bring a surrender itself to my marriage. Or maybe you pray, God, would you drive selfishness out of my workplace? Because I got to go back to work tomorrow. And just being real honest, God, I've been thinking a whole lot lately about what about me? What about me? And I just want to surrender that to you now. And I ask for the help of your Holy Spirit to give me joy tomorrow. And to choose a non-complaining great attitude as I go to work. Knowing that you're the boss I'm really working for. Shape me into the right kind of person in that place. Or maybe you can pray, God, I ask you to sweep selfishness out of my relationships at school. But sometimes, God, I get real self-centered, even judgmental toward other people. Help me not to focus so much on me. Show me ways to finish the school year strong and just shine a humble light so people can see Jesus in my life. Maybe we all could pray, God, in my church, I pray that I would never be the reason for a lack of unity for lack of community. God, drive away from me any selfish ambition or vacancy. Help me to see the people sitting in a row with me as better than myself. Give me the power to honor other people, to attach a high price tag to them. And forgive me for the times, God, I've tried to be the great somebody and grab all the credit. Father, today we, we choose to embrace the lifestyle that Jesus lived. And we are ready to lay our ego on the altar and say goodbye to pride. And we ask your Holy Spirit to remind us throughout the day when pride rears its ugly head that we have chosen to live free and light and graciously like Jesus. So in these moments, we just lay down ourself and we thank you for your grace. It's in the name of Jesus, our model and our leader, we pray, amen.